Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This week in the show, I bring you a deep dive into the deeply empathetic mind of a Pennsylvania-born confessional folk singer-songwriter by the name of Sean Skolnick, who for the last 15 years or so has roamed the far corners of Spaceship Earth as a heart-on-his-sleeve troubadour truth-teller, amassing a devoted following, performing as his tender-hearted, squirmy-voiced, many-hatted, impish alter-ego, Langhorn Slim. But the song's all wrong, we made a mistake. Dreams they sell, I don't believe. seems like I haven't learned to be more succinct or less wordy in my introductions, so I guess let's get right to the craziness. Let me tell you something, I am very new to editing podcasts. Editing anything, words especially, is very hard for me. It takes me hours and hours to comb through the fits and starts of these intense and sometimes glitchy and glorious Zoom conversations. And after catching up with Langhorn from his rainy porch in Nashville, I realized just how much I love hearing the wheels of his ever-sparking mind turning and turning. And you know what? Sean has a lot of ideas, and I had to edit a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot. So what we're about to hear is a conversation between the two of us, um, edited to the best of my humble abilities for clarity and strength of purpose. And if there's one thing I learned after this long talk, it's that our mental health situation in this country, especially in the artist community, it's very fragile. How are you doing, artists, creators, writers, actors? How is everyone feeling right now? As we lurch into February, it's almost a year since I was able to share my music on a regular basis with a public audience. Almost a year of not making a real living as a performer, not being able to step out into the bright lights and share the stories that have unfurled from the deepest recesses of my mind. And I'm luckier than most, I do have to admit, but I can feel a part of my being, a part of my soul slipping away. A beautiful shining muscle, the thing that I'm actually good at in life, atrophying, crumbling being enclosed like a trapped butterfly in a waterfall of slowly dripping amber. Up until about a year ago, Langhorn Slim was among the hardest working touring songwriters in the world, playing hundreds of festivals, theaters, concert series, clubs, bars, saloons, private events, bar mitzvahs, I don't know, and sharing his stories with a devoted family of folk lovers from the seaside fort of Newport Folk Fest to the faded neon glory of L.A.'s Troubadour. 
I've seen Sean play in a variety of different environments, but he usually ends up right in the crowd like a crooked smiling preacher. And there's one thing that always strikes me is that his music is almost uncomfortably intimate, like he's inviting you into his house, sight unseen, welcoming you into his family when you've only just met. His raspy, often unpolished folk rock reckonings feel like an arm wrapping around you in friendship. And his brand new record, Strawberry Mansion, is even more to the point. He's bringing you into his therapy sessions, telling you about his panic attack as it's happening in real time, then hoping he can help you later as you go through yours. According to the Cleveland Clinic, every year, up to 11% of Americans, that's more than 35 million people, experience a full-blown panic attack, which can feel like you are dying or being attacked by your own mind or that you can't breathe or can't sleep or can't move. Approximately 2% or 3% of these people go on to develop panic disorder. Can you fight this disorder with songs? I don't know, but Langhorn Slim kind of wants to find out. To be real, I always thought that panic attacks were a very niche sickness, but this is happening everywhere in plain sight. Right now, as the swooping crows scream outside my little backroom recording booth with its bubble-wrapped ceiling and sequined walls, as the hard-hatted men in the construction site down the street hammer into the earth, as my grandmothers take their second nap of the day, as the pandas at the D.C. Zoo slide down the snowy hill joyously, as the internet watches someone you know right now is probably having a panic attack. Someone you love may be too ashamed to say that the world outside their window is too much for them to bear. I'm sure Langhorn would be the first to say that his sensitivity has been both a blessing and a curse, but I'm super thankful that unlike many of our sensitive folk rock and roll gods of yesteryear, he was able to find compassionate medical and professional help to get him through his mental illness and substance abuse so we can keep hearing the magic he creates in the future. Most people outside the music industry think songwriters are just hobbyists, people who are creating songs during a moment in their lives when they don't really need a real job. But I think a little differently. I think of a songwriter who is devoting his life to satisfying this fickle and ever sleeve-tugging muse as an accidental time traveler of sorts, a sensitive soul who has no choice but to open the portal in his mind to explain tragedy and ecstasy and history through four minutes of melody and harmony. And unlike most of us, Langhorn seems to be able to cut through the artifice and name the ecstasy and tragedy of living as a human with little hesitation. Life is confusing and people are insane. It's a chorus that he wrote that every time I hear it, I am struck at its power and its simplicity and its perfection. And maybe we need people like Langhorn to name the chaos so we can learn how to live inside it. As I may have mentioned earlier, Langhorn's newest LP is called Strawberry Mansion, released just last week on Dual Tone Records, and uh, he wrote it after coming out of a deep creative funk. It is 22 songs, diaristic sonic sketches, incantations, emotive story songs. It is the real deal. Please check it out, and at the end of the episode, stick around, because he plays an acoustic rendition of Morning Prayer, joined briefly by his cat, Mr. Beautiful. And if you like this podcast, please like and review us on iTunes, share it with your friends, and check out our Instagram, Show on the Road Podcast, for cool videos of me talking to folks like Langhorn Slim. There's going to be some really cool episodes coming up every Wednesday, including a new interview with Low Cut Connie, Shovels and Rope, and members of the Blind Boys of Alabama. The showontheroad.com slash episodes is a great place to go to see our archives. Okay, enough of me going on and on. Here he is now, Sean Skolnick, a.k.a. Langhorn Slim. It's infinite beauty, I let it pass through me, and my eyes are open, I'm ready, my lord. I 
I got so tired I nearly expired But I ain't got time to be tired no more Dreams they sell I don't believe They don't tell It's only a dream If we stay asleep Dreams they sell Nashville, Tennessee. And what, what was the other thing? What I do? <laughs> what do you do exactly? I try to keep my shit together. <laughs> and you've been making records for about, what, 15 plus years now, right? I think the first one came out in my early 20s, 23, 24. And um, I'm, old, I'm older than that today. Yeah, according to uh, Spotify at least, it looks like, yeah, your first record came out 2005 though i uh, that was the when the sun's gone down but i actually discovered you uh right out of college when i started listening to your self-titled record uh which is just i think magical to this day to be real wow thanks i think, I, I think you've been you've been able to create a body of work that is like indelibly you throughout in its weird sort of squirreliness, but also I'm like, like... I'm blushing and I'm aroused. <laughs> but like, you know, or it, you can tell it's you, even though you're trying some stuff out and, you know, you've kind of gone from a folky kind of uh, acoustic sound to a little more rock and roll and soul and then almost come back to the more personal uh, acoustic sound in your newest record, uh, which comes out very soon. It's called Strawberry Mansion. Yeah. But I think that that, um, and I appreciate your your sweet words. They were sweet, and I felt them, and I appreciate it. I uh, all those kinds of musics that you that you mentioned. They all they all f have always felt the same to me as far as like <clears throat> early folk music and punk rock music, and um, and you know early like R and B and soul and blues and and early hip hop and all those all those genres of music like at their rawest form they're all sort of um they they give me the same feeling i guess they're just like the raw animal kind of flavor that i think guys like us and a lot of other guys and gals um connect to so like all those kinds of i like so many others, I think I just, I never really tried to do like a soul record. Not that there's anything wrong with trying to do that or like a folk record. It's just, um, it's a you record. It's just the stuff that I love. You know, I haven't done my, my hip hop record yet. I don't know that anybody would want that, but yeah, that's the kind of music I listen to here at home. And, uh, that turns me on, you know, that kind of it's that life-affirming music, whether the words are sad or, or joyous or something. It's just that, the, the dirty, real, raw deal. You know, that's what's always kind of gotten me out of bed. Well, I think what sets you apart from a lot of people shoehorned into this Americana silo that we're in is that you're a little more vulnerable and a little, little more um, 
open to having your heart on your sleeve, you know, than a lot of folks. Um, you know, you've gone through. Uh, I'm emo, baby. Uh, yeah, well, maybe it's the most punk rock thing about you in a way. Just coming out with the angst in front, not like revealing it later on. And you've gone through addiction problems, substance abuse stuff, uh, trying to get through that. And um, tell me a little bit about how uh, you worked through a really bad bout of creative despair and emptiness to get this Strawberry Mansion record out. I was going to say which time, this time. <laughs> yeah. Lordy, where do I begin? Um, well, the, the, the journey begins not to release creativity. That was a gift that I wasn't expecting and was in awe of as it showed up. Um, the, the process for me, I was out, I was out your way for about eight months and I, um, yeah, I've had, uh, certainly my share of addiction, uh, issues, um, mental health sort of stuff as so many, um, so many can relate to, I'm, I'm sure. And I quit booze and drugs like a little over seven years ago. I quit it on my birthday, August 20th. And, um, well, I guess in a nutshell, I just, I did that on my own and I, I didn't seek any kind of, uh, support or help or anything like that. I, I sort of locked myself in a room. There was no lock on the door, so I didn't literally lock it, but I, you know, I stayed in a room. I didn't drink. I went through um, the exercising of that. Is that what you call that? Exorcising? Yeah. Which it really did feel like at the time. I mean, it was, you know, coming off of booze when you drink a lot of booze. Um, it's a it's a beast and it, it's like a literal beast and it felt like a literal beast that was that was fighting to stay in and I was fighting to um, to push it out and I did that and uh, you know enjoyed a few years of of sobriety which was miraculous for me because I've I've sort of depended on something um, from a fairly early age, uh, from the first time that I, I drank like a six pack of Yingling in Becky Horowitz's basement, in uh, thanks for nothing, Becky. No, it is. Becky was my high school sweetheart and still my my dear darling friend. You're amazing, Becky. Yeah, it wasn't Becky's fault. <laughs> it wasn't Becky's fault. Um, no, I just knew that it was going to be something that I was going to lean on, and that it it brought me such relief because. Uh, there, there. In a lot of us, there's some sort of discomfort within, an anxiousness inside, a feeling of being um, different, which I've enjoyed uh, throughout my life. But it, it's also comes with its challenges. And I think at an early age, when I discovered certain substances, it made me feel it. It quieted the the mind, and it uh, softened the the heart. And that's still how I like to feel. There's a lot going on. I don't even know that there's a lot going on up there. It's just uh, there's a lot of noise um, a lot of the time. So, and I'm going to forget what the initial question is, as I tend to do, because I use a lot of words. But, um, but yeah, I, I quit that, all that stuff. <clears throat> and then, you know, life came a knocking at my door. And there was some, if I'm being real about it, it was things that to this day I really have to look out for. It's like putting my, talk about emo, here's some emo for you. 
it's putting my self-worth or my identity into outside things. So that came in the form of my career in music and you know what what a certain record or project was was doing which we folks like us have very little control of in my opinion you just do the truest work that that one can and you release it to the world and come what may um and it came in the form of a romantic relationship that i i couldn't figure out and that spun me out and uh and I went to a bearded professional to discuss anxiety. The beard is the beard is key for credibility. Though I have been to some incredible women um, therapists these days. That's 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 been the shift. Now I I, I try to talk to to the uh, healthcare professionals that are that are women. I don't know that I'm trying to. That's just been the case, and I've enjoyed it. But yeah, he had a beard, and he, and it was gray. And I bet he's good at what he does, but I went for a certain reason and I kind of knew what, what I was doing. I knew I was, I was playing with fire and I was, and I got prescribed Xanax. Um, and before too long, you know, I was, I was bullshitting that doctor to get more, you know, I'm off on tour. I left it before too long. I was, um, I was out on the streets there in, in Los Angeles, um, you know, finding guys to get to get various things. So it's a, it's like a real fast, there's not a lot of room between like, here's a prescription take as, um, take as uh, needed or something to me being out on the street, you know, going to places I don't need to be going. And that was gnarly. Um, so when I got home to Nashville right before COVID hit, um, I did seek some help. I went to a place for a little bit and um, and I've I've been doing some some other things to kind of support this lifestyle so that you know give me a better chance to um, um, in that I think because when I was you know going through this relapse with prescription medication I was trying like a maniac to finish a record out in California and I I was just slamming my head against the wall hoping a door would be created you know that we could walk through and get to the end of that road. That didn't happen. I was driving him nuts, driving myself nuts. <clears throat> couldn't couldn't finish this thing. And really, what I think I needed and we needed was just a step away. And anyway, I came back home and I got myself together a little bit. And then a tornado hit Nashville, right down the street here, and that was a pretty intense uh, event. And uh, and then you know COVID came. So there was like a force slowing down and simplification and the time it enabled me to slow my ass down and to focus on, interestingly, it enabled me to focus on something other than music or my career or whatever, or a relationship. And in that opened up a whole bunch of music um, and now a record. I didn't write a single one of these songs thinking I was going to go into a studio and make a record and talk to you or anybody you know about it. I was just doing it because they were there all of a sudden, and they hadn't been there for a long time. Well, you opened the record uh, with a mighty soul that has this uh, snapshot of our time, right, where you know the world is going to come and blow the house down, first a tornado, then a plague. For a, se- for a sensitive soul or for anybody it it just shakes your ass up and my ass is already shaken up 
I think I popped out shook it up. So I, I need to really like kind of focus and and try to like fi- try to find some calm, you know, because it's something that I think a lot of people struggle with and I know I do before any pandemic or tornado or political bullshit. <laughs> Come and blow your house down First a tornado, then a plane mm-hmm. Let us use our hands to help and hold Let us utilize our mighty soul Well, I think for many of us, you know, the music is the medicine And we're blessed to have that gift where we can process all this crazy stimuli Through our music, through lyrics, and through uh you know, melodies that can kind of speak the pain and fear and joy and whatever is coming through us better than uh, anything else can, you know? And you have this uh, thing where you put a note in your pocket that says, when you're freaking the fuck out, just play, you know? And I love that. Well, I didn't love it. That came from... (laughs) I loved it when it became a song, you know, but I that came... From when I got back to town, I started seeing this this amazing therapist woman, and and we were talking about fears and about sobriety and about creativity. And you know, I dealt with this the first time I got sober, which was I believe an irrational fear. But tell that to the person that's freaking out about it, which was like, I don't know if I'm gonna write again. I haven't written in a year because I was getting myself twisted with with these pills. And now I got clean and I haven't written. And who am I when I'm not writing? Um, Which that's how I feel a lot of times. It's like if I'm not if I'm not getting the whole pie, I feel like the pie is going to elude me or something. Well, your identity is this creator. And if you don't create, who are you? It's like a god losing his power. Right. Who am I? Who am I if I'm not completing a song, if I'm not on tour, if I'm not in pursuit of the love of my life, um, if I'm not dealing with that question and that discomfort through drugs or alcohol. So when you kind of start to peel that shit back and confront, okay, well, maybe I don't know who I am entirely. And I think most of us are seeking to find ourselves throughout this experience of life that we're living. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's a beautiful, but it's a terrifying thing to do. And then you might feel, as I think I do, well, I'm a grown-ass man. How don't I know this? Why why in some ways am I still a little little baby boy in there, you know? Um, When anxiety manifests itself into like a physical you know, uh, like creature where it's just like, am I dying? Um, is everything attacking? You know, it's just very, um, it's a suffocating feeling. And she was like, why do you ever play music? Yeah. When you're, when you're going through that. And I said, well, no, I don't think I, I do not specific, especially not as like some sort of exercise because, writing music in that way or the guitar itself doesn't feel like my friend. Um, You know, it kind of seems like it's judging from the corner or something. And she suggested, well, play without, uh, 
without an agenda, I suppose. Um, Mm. Which is a heck of a thing. I've been thinking a lot lately about all of this stuff and like the mind not being just one thing. Maybe I read this somewhere, but the mind, we associate the mind being in the brain. And I, I feel like for me, there's the mind that is in my brain and then there's the mind that is of like the soul or of the spirit. The mind that's in the brain can get overactive and that's where right. like the critic, the fear, the judgment, all of the stuff that I think snuffs out the, the spirit mind. Well, you dove right into uh, the worst part of one of those moments in Panic Attack, right? You actually are describing how the walls are caving in. You feel small, uh, and I feel it all, right? And, you know, one of the things that the human brain is so good at is filtering out all the panic and craziness that can come in and make us uh, completely broken, you know, we can't function if we see everything all the time. And yet our modern culture with the 24-hour news cycle and everything, we are being asked to process everything constantly and to have reactions and feelings and thoughts about everything. And sometimes you have to turn it all off somehow, you know. Um, and you actually have this conversation with your therapist like in the song, like it's a play, like it's a dialogue. Tell me about that song coming out. Oh, that's the song that we're talking about where the where the therapist suggested that I that I pick up a guitar in times of great distress and panic. Um, and I told her that I resented <laughs> that idea. How dare you? It, well, it made me feel anxious <laughs> in and of itself. Um, yeah, like assignments have always been a little tricky for me. So somebody to suggest that on a spiritual level, this could help or emotional level, this could help, um, you know, when I'm feeling uh, bad, it didn't seem like a, it didn't seem like a fun idea. But I think I wrote it down and I put it in my wallet or in my pocket and I just remembered that she had said that. Um, at the time that that song came out, I was in the throes of one of these, um, anxious bouts and uh and I grabbed the guitar and I, I was I had a friend here who was like what's wrong I was like I don't know what's wrong she's like why don't you just lay down I laid down um you know shit sucks uh and then I, I the song started to play in my head and I, t- I got I took the guitar and it just sort of like spewed out but it's um a musical document of exactly what was um, transpiring in my world. I called a healthcare professional, want to speak to someone confidentially, don't know just how I'm feeling, but I'm feeling feelings exponentially. Convoy started asking questions, said ma'am I was hoping for advice, I'm feeling lots of feelings, not a single one of them feels nice. Well I think for people who have never experienced a panic attack, it can seem like a foreign um, bout of hysteria that, you know, like, well, other sick people have it, but I would never know what that feels like. And I think the way you created the sound with uh, Paul from the Avid Brothers and Matt Davidson from Twain, uh, who you recorded with, it almost feels like a spaghetti western unfolding, you know, like this, this epic tale of uh, mental distress that I think a lot of people 
uh, are having, especially this year for the first time. You know, there's a lot of people who are experiencing that. And it is big. It feels like this big, epic, cinematic, crushing experience. It does indeed. And um, uh, love and respect to Matt Twain Davidson for his, I think he, maybe he's playing like Morricone in his mind or something at, at all times. I don't know. But yeah, I, I hear you with the spaghetti Western vibe. Um, without a doubt, more people can relate to this sort of shit at the moment. I think people that, you know, have experiences with addiction or mental health stuff are, it just seems across the board, everybody's going through a lot. Before all this started happening, describe, you know, a typical year for you. I mean, you you play a lot of festivals, you know, we joined you on some stuff and uh, folk fests all over the world. And I think there's a there's a certain playfulness in the way that you dive into some really dark territory, you know, and that's, you know, what my favorite songwriters do. John Prine, for example, people are really going through some hard stuff and we can all be better by sort of expressing that together and sharing uh, the love that is in a room. But when we don't have a music festival or a room to share that love, um, my question is, how do you experience that connectedness now because we're talking over zoom obviously and i love seeing your face but it's not the same as you sitting in my living room no it's really not um for me being able to write music during this time um has been uh, incredible i wasn't expecting that i would have you know written all, all these songs or made a record the not being on tour uh all of the time has, how do I say this without just sounding so cheesy? It has helped me to connect to, it's helped me to try and connect with myself and some other things in this life that I have kept at a distance for a long right. time. Like we never have to deal with our own personal problems at home if we're never home. No, right, right? and like we started this thing. I mean, it's easy to, when you do something your whole life, um, when some people go yay or nay or something based on the thing that you do, uh, but whatever one does, um, our identities get very attached to that thing. That song, uh, All Right to Hide on uh, the new record, is sort of another snapshot of making the best of our shut-in existence. And it has this upbeat lilt to it. My wife was like, wait, is that a, you got a friend in me from Toy Story? Is he like referencing that? Randy Newman is okay one of my all-time favorites. So, you know, his music is constantly around. Um, so it's it's possible. It wasn't intentional, Mr. Newman. Um, but I do fucking love you. Uh, <laughs> He'll be okay with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, that song was one of the first that I had written when, I, when music started to come back and songs started to come back in, into my life uh, in the beginning of... The quarantine and the pandemic stuff. Um, and at that point, those songs really felt like uh, they were just sort of on the nose, maybe too much on the nose, like um, quarantine jingles yeah. almost. And then I felt like the songs kind of uh, opened up a little bit more. So I don't know. I'm okay with a few quarantine jingles, I guess. Something's going on out there. Birds are acting strange I might be crazy but I ain't insane 
told you not to go outside Why would I lie? Don't be a dummy, honey Come back inside Even a fool like me can't see Sometimes it's alright to hide Let's go back. Uh, so you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? Yes. What was your childhood like? And did you have a moment when you were a kid where you knew you were a bit different and were more sensitive and more tuned in than others? All kids? of that except for the tuned in. I didn't know if I was too, more tuned in or more tuned out. I still don't. <laughs> yeah, I remember feeling different from a very early age and I remember getting in trouble in school from a very early age. As soon as they put me in, I was getting kicked out. For doing what? For being a little bastard. For, I've never, I, I've, I've never been good and thank God for music, um, but I have never been good at sitting still for periods of time or eating lunch because a bell rings or something along those lines. Um, what what did they say? I think at the in the end of the public school they said I'm a, that I was insubordinate and that that was the only thing I remember really learning from that that public school was uh, the uh, the disciplinarian ver- was very angry and called me insubordinate you know that I was insubordinate and I was like fuck I don't know what that means so I looked up what insubordinate <laughs> means um, and I think that's true I was insubordinate. But yeah, I, 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 for whatever reason, maybe it's the, the mind and the brain and the mind of the spirit kind of thing again. I, I felt like what I was being shown and taught and told was very limiting from a very early age. And I didn't trust mm. it. And um, I didn't trust the people that were carrying that message. I didn't trust. I don't think I knew what a better way was, but I just didn't trust the, the lines in which we are told to walk and that that line is somehow if you know how to do that particular path that you're smart or you have a better chance at succeeding in life I thought that it wasn't the case and I let them know that I thought it wasn't the case which they don't appreciate when you're 12 you know um when did music find you my my mother was is a great singer not professional but she could have been um my grandparents, who were huge, uh, huge parts of my life and my brother's life, loved music. And they loved like swing jazz and the crooners and show tunes. So I was raised on, uh, you know, like Guys and Dolls. And, um, and then on, my parents were split. On Sundays, my dad would come to pick my brother and I up and we would listen to classic rock radio. So I had like, you know, Bette Midler in one ear and John Lennon in, in the other ear. And then as I got a little bit, I got excited about music and turned on by it. I would hear, I don't know who, say Bob Dylan, Otis Redding, you know, two favorites of all time, and then get really interested in their stuff, start to listen to yeah. the music that wasn't just on the radio, and then start to really look, um, got really excited about it and wanted to see who turned them on and who their inspirations were. Then Nirvana came, and that's how I learned to play guitar, was Polly. My cousin was in a punk band in New Jersey. He taught me how to play Polly. And Kurt was very generous with his um, influences and inspirations and, and would really tout these, uh, these bands that he loved. Um, the Meat Puppets? The Meat Puppets. Uh, 
I had I had already started listening to Lead Belly because I loved early blues and and folk music stuff. But, but Lead Belly, uh, 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 the Vaselines, my God, um, you know a bunch of a bunch of them. Um, he loved Leonard Cohen, so I felt like within I loved Nirvana, still do, but within his. Uh, scope of like the stuff that really touched him and him being open about it me reading every interview that Kurt Cobain you know did the, you know punk music and, and yeah. weirdo stuff going back to your 2008 self-titled record which is where I first fell in love with your music uh, that song Restless I feel like really captures this squirmy kid trying to figure out why his brain is a little bit different why he can't sit in one place you know and you have that list of things you could blame it on. It could blame it on the teachers. It could blame it on my parents not being together. But really, it's about trying to figure out what it is to be free, what it is to feel free. Yeah, and ter- turns out uh, st- still still looking for it. But I, I, uh, it's interesting to, to, to hear that from you. And sometimes I don't listen to my old music. Um, every once in a while, maybe I will, or, or I'll hear something. Um, but it, it feels like it's predicted the future of me, you know, my life in some way, mm-hmm. or like, whoa, how did that mm-hmm. come out when I was just a wee, a wee boy? Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I don't know, maybe we know some things from an early age, but it takes us a little while. There's a difference between, I guess, knowing something intellectually and knowing it um, in, in some other part to, to start to do something about it. your folks do for a living my mother uh when i was growing up she worked at uh the jankentown cheese shop co-owned the jankentown cheese shop and then put herself uh through law school when i was i don't know 14 or 15 became um an attorney and i don't know that that she would say that she loved that decision she just retired so congrats to my mom and my dad uh, my father and my grandfather owned a liquor store in New Jersey, a bar and a liquor store. Um, so a lot of early memories were playing like Pac-Man and and pinball in that little stinky dive bar in Blackwood, New Jersey. Um, you know, before the bar opened, and they were doing they were doing the uh, the numbers or or whatever stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's what they did. It's a lot of free booze just hanging around. Yeah, I noticed. <laughs> some of my first tastes were uh, were sneaking some some gross bottles of I don't know Jägermeister or something into my little hippie uh, woven bag that I bought at Spencer's Gift at the Oxford Valley Mall. But that's neither here nor there. Do you remember the first song that you recorded that you felt like this is going to be a path for me, where you felt you could really do it for real? real the 
because no one decides that moment where they're like a professional musician. They just start doing it over and over again, and then it happens. I think it, it feels a little strange to say, from a very early age, I was dreaming of doing some form of this before I played a guitar or before I wrote a song. So in my, in my imagination, I was already living some form of it. Um, and there was never a point that I can remember that it was like, okay, now I'm going to do this professionally or this is what I want to do. There, I never had like another plan. Um, I was only interested in, uh, in some kind of creative life and I had no interest or idea of what any other kind of life would be. And in fact, I remember getting in trouble at one of the schools and they're like, why must you be such a pain in the ass? You're like a nice guy. And I'm like, it's just because none of this shit applies to me. But that's how it felt. And I just remember being like, I'm just going to do this thing. And, you know, you'll see. I'll either be rich and, and famous uh, or, you know, homeless and playing guitar like on a beach. But... It's just what I, one way or the other. What I didn't take into account, which is kind of funny, is that there's a lot of area, there's a lot of gray area in between the rich and famous yeah. and the the, uh, the the guy with the dreads on the beach playing Bob Marley or something. Um, and yes, I like a lot of us find ourselves uh, somewhere within those two worlds. Well, you've had more success than a lot of folks in having your music placed in commercials and movies and, uh, you know, which is a great way to actually make a living as an artist, but also, you know, there's a little squeamishness between, uh, the real art and angst that are in these songs. And then having a tune like the way we move be in a Microsoft windows commercial, you know, like touting software for the masses. Uh, and that song is about, you know, embracing the crooked tale of your own past, you know, but here, buy some computers, you know, right. but that's, that's how you make a living as an artist, you know? And I think almost like what was selling out back in the day is almost like applauded now, which is kind of, I mean, by the time I started getting offers like that, um, I, I was, I was, I was sort of laughing at least on the inside. I'm going to ask you what the, you, you see some, some conflicting nature between the Microsoft commercial and what that, what that song's about. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but I have had a, a number of songs, um, get, you know, get placed on things like that. And when I was first starting to get those offers, I was very squeamish about it. And, um, and some I turned, some I turned down. The way that I rationalized... <clears throat> what did you turn down? What was the weirdest one? I turned down a McDonald's one in Canada, uh, probably for obvious reasons for a lot of people I don't know, but at the time, I, I've been a vegetarian since I'm 11 years old. Okay, that makes sense. At least I have a, a laptop. As you know, I don't know how to use it. But uh, but yeah, I, um, I I definitely turned that one down. And, and uh, there's been some others o over the years, but... There's been some that I was like, you know, I really just don't know that this feels good to me. And then I remember a couple of things. One is that I have a band that stuck with me all of these years. And we make, for whatever reason, the the money that we have um, is 
we've made more from movies and you know from licenses than we ever do from record sales um or or being on the road for that matter even though we're on the road a shit ton so to help to support myself and and my band of brothers um it's a nice shot in the arm that's for sure um and also something i could never have foreseen is that people will turn up to the shows and be like, yo, I saw you, I heard you on uh, whatever the TV show is. Bones. Bones, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did I have a song on Bones? Apparently, that's what it says. Yeah, on Bones. Um, However they discover it, you know what? Like, as long as it's not Monsanto or something like that, it's like, it's it's getting people in the door. That's kind of where I've landed with it, is as long as it's not something that uh, that I really feel is is fucking terrible or even a little terrible um that that I, i'm i'm down for it and and it's brought a lot of people to to the show So you put out the record uh, The Way We Move um, with the band you called The Law at the time, and you had this stomping piano uh, groove, especially to that song, which I love, but you can feel your voice sort of like fraying. You can almost feel the excess and the, the out there journeys that your brain is going into, and I think we tend to revel in the excess of others, you know, from afar, I think that's something that is uh, maybe the dark side of rock and roll or, or music in general is that we we want our artists to be out of control and, and, and a little bit crazy so we don't have to be, you know? Yeah, you know? I think that's true. And I think it, it's just that we all have that in us. To, so, to, to, so, you know, to see some sort of primitive expression, um, maybe that maybe it's something that we all recognize but don't all find a way to um <clears throat> to to express within ourselves i don't know it's interesting why why we love to see somebody just you know like iggy pop or something like that you know on, on a stage and that's something that so many of us can recognize but not not the kind of freak that most of us are are willing to be because the spirit moves which came out from 2015 you know people were writing that that was also a sobriety record Right, but that was like maybe the first time where you're like, I'm gonna try to conquer this beast. Right, your story is one that a lot of people in our country are going through, where you're prescribed something to help you get through the pain and anxiety, and that actually becomes the new addiction. Look, I I got sober then, and that was a part of that that story. So when people were talking to me, I was talking about it, and. And here we are some years later and, and shit happened and, and that's a part of it. So it's it's difficult for me not to discuss the truths with anybody that wants to talk to me about yeah. what what was going on. I don't mean to uh, market myself as a, uh, a, a sober 
singer songwriter man or that this is a sobriety record it, it just is it's just a fucking fact that um, I went from uh, wh where I was a year ago to to um, to coming home and, and getting clean and then and then these songs came so it, it just is part of the f the natural flow of it I hope I don't have any more sobriety records I'll put it to you like that well you know, publicists, managers, labels, everyone has to find a way to, like, market their artist, right? And I'll just say, if I wasn't willing to play the game to some extent, then I wouldn't, right? I mean, I know that they're looking for, everybody has to look for an angle and a story. Um, it's tough when the angle or the story is some kind of shit like that because you never want to feel like you're being... Dis, you know, you're not being uh, genuine uh, and 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 real about it, or that you're sort of like using. I had one interviewer once say to me, and I I don't think I've been mean to too many interviewer people, um, but she said, "Why do you think that sobriety's become trendy in Americana music?" And I go, "You gotta <laughs> you gotta go fuck yourself," and it it it, it shook me, man. Um, but yeah, I guess all I, all I know to do is just to to try to to talk about what's going on. I think you do a thing that again a lot of us songwriters are afraid to do, which is again to come straight out and say it, right? The song that me and my wife always listen to on one of our playlists is, you know, life is confusing. Life is confusing and people are insane, right? It seems so obvious and so uh, dirty, almost like a thing like, why would you say that as your main line of the chorus? But we come back around to the the fact that, like, life is fucking confusing and people are insane, and it feels like a mantra for our times. And if we can just, like, be okay with that and just have it in the open instead of, uh, you know, shrouding everything in, in a sense of, like, well, everything's gonna get better and Maybe it's okay that things are confusing, you know? Maybe things are supposed to be confusing. Maybe we're not really in, in control of every fucking thing. Life is confusing and people are insane. Yeah. find that you've become more of a spiritual person and I know there's a lot of stuff about faith and, and letting go in this new record but do you find that you've embraced sort of a a healthy respect for a higher power in your life uh yes but it's uh I always have I mean I'm I was raised Jewish boy in in a suburb of Philadelphia um so I haven't I haven't known exactly what that what that looks like, but I have always felt um, energy, believed in energy, <laughs> and believe in spirits uh, and and things of that nature. Um, but yeah, for me, what I what I'm trying to do is to get out of my myself more often than I once did, and um, and surrender a little bit more and, and trust a little bit more just the, the flow of things and, and not try to um, not try to control as much. Do you think you could 
remember the words to uh, Morning Prayer, which is off your new record, a bit. Because I love that back and forth when you're like, I'm trying to surrender control, but I still want to run the show, and then I'm trying to let it go. You know, Because that push and pull, I think, is at the heart of everything. We can't let go of everything if we want to be a creative uh, person. You want to be able to have your vision come to life, and that means being totally controlling about every aspect of things. And that is super stressful and not very healthy way to be a lot of times. Um, I mean, that song was directly from a, <clears throat> a dear friend of mine who had sent me a prayer in which she says in, in the morning. And, um, and I was trying to, uh, to try that kind of prayer out. That's never been, um, you know, I've never like gotten up in the morning and, and, and prayed or, you know, before a meal and prayed or something like that. Um, and I was trying to, but I couldn't feel entirely the words that were on the, the screen or the paper. So I, I tried to put the idea of it to, to that song to help me kind of um, gain contact. Can you try reciting a bit of it like it's a poem, like in a church that you're doing? Because I feel like lyrics need to be appreciated in that way sometimes. Okay, well, the words are... <clears throat> what are the words? The words are, God, give me the strength today. I offer myself to thee. Um, from this bondage, set me free. Help me see the nature of my wrongs. In your grace, I will be strong. This old world is full of fear and greed. Love it is the door and faith is the key. From this bondage, set me free. I offer myself to thee. And there's more. Who do you have faith in? Like, who are you uh, talking to in that song, you think? And maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your, your mighty soul. Maybe it's, like, your best self. It's the, um, it's the collective spirit mind not the brain mind it's um it's <clears throat> i i don't i still don't have a name for it but it's not um it's not out of reach that there is uh that there's a lot more than i understand or even that i can see with my own eyes but what i can see with my own eyes is pretty fucking spectacular um and you know, I got sitting on the little porch here and I got birds chirping and the wind blowing through the trees and all that might sound kind of cheesy, but that is like, what the fuck is, is, uh, is happening. I mean, I, I, um, I think taking the, the burden of complete control of, of, of whatever this is out of, out of my, out of myself and, and putting it into the flow of, um, of this, of a greater energy or trust in, in some sort of greater energy or collective energy is, uh, is helpful for me. Have you ever experienced a supernatural situation or occurrence? Yes, I have. Yeah. I've felt spirits, um, around me since I'm a little kid. Yeah. Um, my, my, I never kind of kicked the door down to the pre, you know, the sort of conditioned notion that, that everything is scary that I can't see, unfortunately. So when I do feel or, or, or hear something, I often, um, 
I often get freaked out. Um, but yeah, more more than seeing uh, figures or something like that, I, I've just um, f- felt various things throughout my life and, and, and hear sounds. And I, I'm not convinced as to what that is or what that isn't. I would say that when I'm on stage and the band is really connected and there's a crowd that's with you, you know, it's the best feeling in the world. It's about as close to heaven on earth, I think, that can exist. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, at the Newport Folk Fest or at someone's garage and people are just freaking out and having a great time. There's something about that one organism of humanity coming together that only music can do, you know? Was there a certain show or festival where you felt that the most? I love that you say that that could be in a basement uh, with with 20 people or, you know, on stage at Newport. Um, both, I've felt that in, in both the smallest venues. <clears throat> um, I mean, from the early days, uh, I used to play at this open mic in, in New York City at the this place called the Sidewalk Cafe. And I just remember it was like a hundred people crammed into this little room just waiting for yeah. your turn to play two songs. And um, and getting up in that r- room and and hearing like bottles, you know, clinking and, and people talking and, and then the room going quiet, you know, when you start to sing a song. It's, you know, experiences like that are still the most powerful ones that I can that I could think of. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you're on on a stage like at Newport or something and, and you have a, a bigger audience and you have that that collective higher thing happen. Yeah, that's that's the closest to to a religious experience as I've had as well. And on the other side of it we've all experienced possibly like the worst show ever, you know, where you have food poisoning and yet you still have to go on. That's one of the things I think we all don't miss about being on the road is like pushing yourself beyond your physical limit. Yeah. Maybe some people are forgetting that, that part of it. I mean, I've had to, um, to find some sort of, I don't know, because I've had the same feeling, but then I'm the guy that's like, jumping around and singing the songs so uh, trying to uh t- to find some kind of uh, of a feeling to pull through that and i mean during this time where where i was um on the, all this prescription medicine that was happening more than than not i mean I, I was playing shows and just doing everything i could it was, it was an outer body experience kind of looking down at myself being like oh my god how the fuck are we going to pull through this um not a not a good not a good feeling but i would say on any given tour for as beautiful of a of a a life in a lot of ways as playing music is on on any given tour, yeah you're pushing yourself i think physically and emotionally um a lot and and you run your your ass down but just because your ass is run down you still got uh people in baltimore that are showing up ready to see a show so um let's say you get to throw your own music festival you could throw it any place in the world any setting and you get to book five artists dead or alive who would they be it's so tough because I overthink this shit and there's so many that I love. I mean, Otis has been forever my, my 
my favorite singer. So we'll just because we have to name names, we'll say Otis Redding. He'll be there. And um, all right, let's make this interesting. I want to see Otis Redding. I want to see. Um, let's get Clifton Chenier in there. Because I was just thinking about Clifton before we, we did this. Um, we'll get Nina Simone. And then we'll get... Well, one of my favorite bands of, of bands is this band, The Lost Body Ramblers, who I just I went, took a little road trip recently to New Orleans, and they were doing a live stream at DBA, and I got to go sit in there as they were filming it. And those guys make me uh, happy as, as can be. We'll, we'll put them in there. And then, uh, and then just to mix it up, like an early minor threat uh, show. So like a nine, like a, like a minor threat show from the nine, the old 930 club in the VHS tape that I used to have, like one of those performances into <laughs> Nina Simone, then you get Clifton, Otis. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll start with that. What is the meaning behind Strawberry Mansion? Is that the pink house where you are? Uh, no, but yes, but also my grandfathers, Jack and Sid, grew up in a neighborhood in Philadelphia called Strawberry Mansion. And they used to tell my brother and I all these stories about running around when they were kids. So I've sort of like deeply uh, romanticized and mythologized, if that's a word, th this place. And... Um, mm. And, and, you know, sometimes when the songs are coming, I kind of feel the spirits of, of those old men. And so that it just kind of lent itself somehow to, to these songs. But also, I do live in a house that's painted similarly to a strawberry. All comes full circle. All comes full circle. Uh, which song would you like to play for us, if that's possible? Well, you want to do, maybe I'll play the morning prayer song because we were... Yeah. We were talking about it. Should I do it here on uh Yeah, why not? Okay, cool. Let me let me bring you in. This is good. I've got like a half bladder of urine, which is usually leads for the best performances. Just a little bit of restless edge. One must have a little bit of restless edge, I guess. Alrighty, alrighty. You have the whole house to yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had uh, housemates lived downstairs, and um, they took off. When, when music went away, they, they went away because uh, they were here, you know, to, as making their money playing music in Nashville. So, um, so yes, it's just me and the kitty. Well, thanks again for, for doing this, and... Uh... My pleasure. Thank Here he you. is now, Langhorn Slim, playing Morning Prayer. God, give me the strength today. Offer myself to thee. 
from this bondage set me free help me see the nature of my wrongs in your grace I will be strong this old world is full of fear and greed love it is the door and fades the key From this bondage set me free Now offer myself to thee God with you I can be whole If I surrender my control I'm trying to let go This old world is full of fear and greed Love it is the door and faith's the key Nothing is deserved, no guarantee Uh-oh I offer myself <laughs> to thee Come on, kitty. Come on, puppy. Cat literally just sat on the computer. That was kind of brilliant. Actually. That was brilliant. He's just brilliant. Ultimate power move. It's perfect timing, too. awesome well thanks again man um thank you brother i hope we are able to meet out on the great wide open i sure sooner hope so. rather than later i sure hope so man stay safe be well yeah, man. and thanks so much brother there he goes now mr langhorn slim you can go to langhornslimmusic.com for his newest record, Strawberry Mansion, made with members of Twain and the Aver Brothers. It is a wonder to behold. Much like my introductions, there's a lot going on. 22 songs, some of them only a minute long, like little poems dropped into your brainstem. Uh, I really, really hope you can listen to this record. And uh, if you go to the bluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that a few years ago they did a video drop of one of my all-time favorite numbers of his, Life is Confusing, which we talked about earlier in the episode. And uh, it's really fun, this video. And 
I think I mentioned in the intro that I view songwriters as accidental time travelers who have a portal to another dimension in their minds. And uh, Langhorne says in this uh, article that I have no actual idea where songs come from most of the time. I've always viewed it as being a vessel whose job, for reasons I wouldn't pretend to understand, is to channel something that comes from somewhere else. It's a difficult thing to articulate, but most of my own favorite songs were essentially given to me. My only real contribution was to be open enough at a particular time to receive it and not get in its way. That's right, songs really are larger than us. They're beyond our understanding. If there is one thing that I truly understand, it's that good work often gets lost in the mix. There are so many artists, so many podcasts, so many actors and singers and writers who are trying to get their work heard. If you love an artist that you heard on this show, if you love this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Give us a kind rating on iTunes. It helps people find us. If you want to be a true comrade, you can donate to this podcast. In fact, I would love if you did. ZNLupitin at gmail.com. Put that in on PayPal as you're standing in line at Starbucks for a Frappuccino. It'll be easy and everyone is happy. As always, this podcast is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupitin, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. We'll see you every Wednesday with more episodes. See you on the trail. Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear. The people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember. The ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Subscribe now.